All right. Well, guys, it is so good to be with you. My name is Matt Carter, and um, I'm the pastor of preaching here at the Stone. A couple things. One is we kind of we apologize that it's so hot in here. The chillers in this uh, high school are down, and so we did everything we could. But uh, so it's just going to be a little warm in here. Which leads me to the second thing, which is means I'm gonna sweat this shirt out. It's gonna be really gross, right? So y'all don't, y'all just bear with me, um, and don't get distracted by that. Um, I, uh, I'm also got a little bit of a cold or something going on here, so I'm, I'm coughing a little bit. So I apologize. So, um, if you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, uh, verse 13. Matthew, chapter 16, verse 13. We'll be there in just a second, um, and uh, and we'll kind of start there. But we're, uh, we're continuing uh, our series that we're calling Convictions. And the idea behind this series is that we're, we're taking some time as a church and we're mi- reminding ourselves about the core principles or kind of the foundational biblical convictions that this church was built on. If, 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 if you trace back all the things, pretty much all the things that we do as a church in 15 years we've been doing this, you can trace them all back to a to a Bible verse. You can trace them all back to a biblical conviction that this church was built on. And so today, the conviction that I wanna talk about is um, a fact that we wanna be a church, and we've endeavored from the beginning to be a church that is relentless in mission. Okay, from the, from the start of our church, the leadership of the Austin Stone, we've always desired to be a church that moves you, that moves you from a place where you're just consuming um, just uh, uh, consuming, a person that's just showing up and attending the church to actually being a person that lives their life on mission for God on a daily basis, right? And, say, and I think it's critical for us um, for a couple reasons. One is, is somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way in the last 2,000 years of church history, Christians in large part have changed. They've changed from, from this original picture of the New Testament where people seem to understand that every believer possessed the power of the Holy Spirit and were actively engaging in the growth of the body of Christ and the expansion of the kingdom of God. To where now what you have, and it's not always the case, but overwhelmingly, you, um, church has kind of come this place where, where, where um, people kind of show up at a building on Sunday morning, they experience the programs of the church, they worship God, they learn a little bit, and then they walk out the doors and just kind of live their life the way that pretty much everybody else lives their life. And I think there's a couple of factors historically that have contributed to this. I think one, um, before the Protestant Reformation, you had the Catholic Church, and what the Catholic Church did is they looked at the priests and they said, hey, this, this singular guy is this guy that has access to God's word, he's got access to God, and therefore he is the sole person that's responsible for ministering to us and that we're just receivers of his ministry. And that's kind of how the way that the Catholic Church worked before the uh, Protestant Reformation. But even after the Protestant Reformation now in the 21st century, we have a bad habit of kind of looking at and elevating pastors and worship leaders and missionaries as these kind of professional Christians that are responsible for doing all the ministry. And we're just people that show up in the doors on a Sunday, receive their ministry, and again, go on with our lives. And from the very beginning, from the very beginning of the church, we have endeavored to teach and to demonstrate that that is not and it never has been. That's not and it never has been. God's designed intention for the way that everyday believers are to engage in this thing that Jesus called the church. And so I wanna take a few minutes here and I wanna look at some of the biblical foundations for what you and I are supposed to be doing as believers engaging 
in the mission of God through the church. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. I think a good place to start here is looking at kind of how Jesus first described the church. Let's look at it together. Look at verse 13. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And I addressed this a couple weeks ago, but let's talk about it a little bit longer. Jesus comes to his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. He asked them a question. He goes, who are people saying that I am? And his disciples responded, <clears throat> and they said, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah are one of the prophets. And so they're like, hey, people think you're a lot of things. They think you're like a prophet that's come back, or you were John the Baptist who's already come back. And then he asked him a question in verse 15. He says, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Disciples, guys that have been following me around, who do you guys think I really am? And Simon Peter replied, and said, you are the Christ, and you are the son of the living God. So Peter says two things. He says, one, I believe you're the Christ. That means he's the Messiah. The Old Testament prophesied about this person that would come who would save the people from their sins and establish the kingdom of God on earth. And Peter's saying, I think you're him. And then the second thing he says, he says, you're the Christ, and he says, you're the son of the living God. In other words, Peter confesses and says, not only are you this guy that came that's gonna um, uh, save us from our sins and establish the kingdom of God, but I think you are God. That's what he says. And then Jesus answered and said to him in verse 17, he, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Peter. He called, that's actually a word that means little pebble. He goes, blessed are you, little pebble. Um, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And he's like, Peter, right answer. I am the Christ. I am the Son of the living God. And you're blessed because you didn't figure that out because you're smart because Peter wasn't that smart. But God revealed that to you. And then in verse 18, Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. He called Peter little pebble because he's actually pointing out that the church is not gonna be built on Peter. He's not gonna build on the rock of Peter, but he's actually gonna be built on this big rock of the, this group of people that all have this common confession that Jesus is the Christ and the son of the living God. He said, you're right, Peter. God revealed that to you, and it's on this rock, this group of people that have the confession of the Christ and the living God that I'm gonna build my church. And then watch what Jesus said the church is going to do. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. And then Jesus said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so before the church even shows up on the scene yet, Jesus calls his shot. And this is how he describes the church. He said the church is gonna be a group of people with a common conviction and a common belief that he's the Christ and the Son of the living God. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that group of people not Peter himself, not a church building, but that group of people are gonna be called the church. And then he makes the statement about what the church is going to accomplish. And Jesus says that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. Now that has a couple of meanings, I think. The first meaning, talked about it a couple of weeks ago, briefly reminded us, I think the first meaning, a meaning you remember that he, he says these words, at, the, at, at this place, it was like a big amphitheater. I've been there myself. There's, it's a wall behind Jesus and all these altars and these statues of these little gods and these kings and these kingdoms are all behind Jesus. And so what Jesus' point is he's making, he's saying, look, I'm gonna start this thing called the church and after all these kings and kingdoms and gods and all these objects of people's worship after they're long gone, they've come and gone and they're just a, a dusty footnote in an old book somewhere, the church of Jesus Christ is still gonna be around, is still gonna be standing, is still gonna be doing his thing. 
And 2,000 years has gone by and Jesus was just right so far. All right, so that's the first thing that means. The second thing it means is this. I think it can be found in the word gates. Everybody look at, 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 the, at the phrase again here. Jesus said, I'm gonna build this thing called the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. <clears throat> now, when I, when I was growing up and young in the ministry and I would read this verse, my mind would immediately go to the, kind of this picture where all of the armies of hell are attacking the church and that the church is in this defensive posture and that we're kind of warding off the attack of Satan and the attack of the enemy and that, that the church is gonna prevail against the attack of hell. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying when you look at the language, look carefully at the wording. Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. The Jesus, or rather the picture that Jesus is painting here is not one where the church is on defense defending against the attack of Satan, but rather the church of Jesus is on the offense. The church of Jesus is on the attack and what we're doing is we're trampling over the gates of hell. The picture that Jesus is painting is this group of people that are called the church and we are on this victorious offensive mission that cannot be stopped by the powers of hell. And if we kind of if I survey the landscape of the 21st century church, I'm not entirely sure that that's what the church has become or whether it fits that description. All right, so let's look at, uh, at, 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 at Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 real quick, because Paul's gonna talk about what each one of our individual roles are inside this church. And we looked at this last week, but I wanna dive down deeper into it in light of all of our call to, look, uh, to live on mission. So Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, watch this. <clears throat> Paul says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers and so Paul's saying, hey, this is what God did. He provided for the church this group of people. You've got the prophets and the apostles and the evangelists and the teachers and the shepherds. He gave them to the church. But what is the role of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers? It says in verse 12, to, to equip the saints. To equip the saints, that's you. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so according to this text, church, who is ultimately responsible for doing the work of the ministry. It's not the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and teachers and the shepherds. It's the apostles and prophets, evangelists and teachers and shepherds job to equip and to teach and to train you so that you would walk out those doors and do the work of the ministry for the expansion of the kingdom of God, right? My job as a pastor, guys, my job as a shepherd and a teacher is not, and it, and it never has been primarily to teach you about God so that you can walk out those doors and just live your life. My job as a pastor and a shepherd and as a teacher is to equip you and train you to walk out these, those doors right there and go knock down the gates of hell. That's what the scripture says. And so the question that kind of comes up in my mind when you hear this is, is like, okay, if that's what I'm doing, I'm called to uh, you know, train and equip you to go do the work of the ministry, is that the calling of every believer? Is that the calling of everybody that's here that would claim the name of Christ? You're like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer. Is this calling on your life too, or is it really just the pastor, shepherd, teacher, and a hand few of really gifted people? Is it really all of our call to engage in the expansion of the kingdom of God? Look at verse 15, Ephesians chapter four. Paul says this, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now watch what he says in verse 16. He says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So that it builds itself up in love. And so guys, according to the Bible, according to the Holy Spirit-inspired word of God, what did the scripture just say is the cause of the growth of the body of Christ? What is the cause of the expansion of the kingdom of God? What is the impetus for this hell's gate trampling mission? Is it um, getting a really charismatic leader that's a good public speaker and building a building, coming on Sunday and hearing him preach and, and leaving and go to Hula Hut for lunch? Is that kind of what the Bible's saying? Right, is, is, it, is it finding a really cool worship leader? It's got some cool tattoos and some cool jeans made in Sweden, which may or may not be true of Aaron Ivey today. And coming and listening to him and getting fired up and having a Sunday experience and then going on with our lives. Or, or, or maybe is the, is the cause of the growth of the body and the advancement of the kingdom of God to build a building and create cool programs for people to come and have their felt needs met and then go on with their lives. The answer is no, read it again, Ephesians 4.16. From whom the whole body, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. By the way, that means everybody in the church. When each part, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So the biblical picture and the, and the biblical um, prescription, if you will, for the growth of the body of Christ and the expansion of the kingdom of God is for you to come into these doors and, and for you to be equipped by the pastors and teachers and shepherds of our church so that every single one of you can walk out of those doors and go and do the work of the ministry. All right, so let me ask you one last question here. Okay, so we see that it's my job to equip you uh, to do the work of the ministry, and then it's the call on all of, of, of the body of Christ for every believer to do the work of the ministry. So how do, we, how do we do that? Like, how do we have the power in order to do that? It says, the Bible says, I'm gonna be this Hell's Gate trampling person. How does that work? I just wanna read to you a few verses and see if you can kind of catch a theme through these verses. Just follow along with me. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Romans 15, 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Ilikram I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For by the word of the cross, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 5, 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus. But he said to me in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power, Jesus says, is perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 2 Corinthians 13, four, for he was crucified in weakness but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. 
Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. Philippians 3.10. Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And I could just go on and on and on. You guys getting the point? If you're a believer here today and you're a person that believes in your heart and has confessed with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ and the son of the living God, here's what that means. That you have within you right now and you have access to right now the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Over and over and over again, over and over and over again, the, the Bible keeps saying to us and keeps talking about to us that you have access and have within you the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, and the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And the question then becomes, are, are you have that power, it's in you, are you willing to raise your hand and say, God, yes, give me access to this so that I can use it in it and through me. Most of us don't walk around thinking about ourselves that way but we should because if you are a believer, you are a vessel that holds within that vessel the power of God. And that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Again, the question becomes, will you use it? I, um, I wanna apologize to you for something real quick. Um, when I was young, I was in my 20s, <coughs> I used to look at pastors, gosh, this was, gosh, back in the 90s, and I used to look at pastors that were, when I was in my 20s, they were in my 40s, and they were using some old movie illustrations from like the 80s, it'd be 96, and they'd be, they'd be using Goonies as a sermon illustration, and I'd be like, if I'm ever old like that, I'm not doing that. Well, I'm about to do that, so I'm just really sorry. I couldn't think of a better illustration. Uh, how many of y'all have seen Good Will Hunting? <laughs> y'all seen that movie? Yeah, a few of you, it's, it's a long time ago, so if you hadn't seen it, you, you lost your shot. I'm about to wreck it out for you. Um, but it's about this guy named Will, and he grew up in South Boston, and he grew up in poverty. And, uh, and this thing about Will is that he, um, he was a genius. And he wasn't just any genius. He was like this mathematical genius, and he was the next level mathematical genius. He was, the, he was, he was Einstein, basically. He was our generation's Einstein. And, um, but the problem was that even though he was completely aware that he was Einstein, he didn't want to be Einstein. He, he, he knew he had the power and had the ability to change the world and he just didn't care. All he wanted to do was just hang out with his buddies and drink beer in South Boston and just live a normal life like everybody else. And one of his professors, there's a quote, one of his professors said this to him. He said, most days I wish I never knew you. Most days I wish I'd never met you because then I could sleep at night and I didn't have to walk around with the knowledge that there was someone like you out there and I didn't have to watch you throw it all away. I think it's a real close picture of us in the church. There, there's some people, there's a lot of you here today that you're like, man, you, you've got this power, you don't even realize it. But there's a lot of you, there's a lot of us that you, 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 you read the Bible, you know you've got it, you even believe it, but you don't care. And it's, it's, it's so difficult to see a sea of people that have within them this unearthly power to change the world for the glory of God. Man, but we're, 
too busy just kind of doing our thing to even care. The Bible describes us. The Bible describes you. The Bible describes me this way. We're a group of people with the common confession that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God, and then the Bible over and over kind of paints this picture of us, this group of people, and it kind of describes us like this, that we're, that we're a light shining, praise, worship of God producing, darkness overpowering, power of the resurrection possessing, hell's gate trampling, victorious, unstoppable force in this world. That's not what I say you are. That's who Jesus says that you are. And so when we say that one of our core convictions is that we are relentless in mission all in the world that we're saying, in all the world that we're doing, is we want to help you and equip you become everything that God has already said you, you are. That's it. And I wanna kind of finish the sermon today by, by talking about the word relentless. What, what do I mean when I say that, that we're relentless in mission? And we pick that, that word very, very specifically. And I think it, it, the reason is this, is when we say that we're relentless in mission church, here's what we're saying. We want to convey a sense of urgency for you to live out this call on, on mission. We wanna convey a sense of urgency for you to walk out those doors and live on mission for God. Really quickly, Psalms chapter 39, verse four. King David is speaking, he's talking to God, and he makes an interesting request of the Lord. In, in Psalms 39, four, David asks this question. He says, oh Lord, or rather makes this statement. He says, make me know my end. David's praying and he says, God, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. And so, so David's praying, and, and, he, and he says, God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to show me, I want you to reveal to me how short my life is. Why would he ask that? Why would he say, God, I want you to reveal to my heart and reveal to my mind how fleeting my life is? Why would he ask that? And then, and then in, the, in the next verse, he kind of gives us a, a sense of why he's asking that in verse five. David says, behold, you have made my days as a few handbreaths. It's like the, the reality of the shortness of his life hits him and David says, behold God, you have made my days the length of my life, you've made it like a few handbreaths and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Guys, have you ever been on a, um, on a cold day, stood by a, a mirror or a window and breathed into the glass? It, it kind of fogs up for just a second. And then just goes away. David says, God, I want you to show me that that's really what my life is like. That I'm just here for a second. And then I'm gone. So what the scripture is trying to convey is this. And what David's trying to convey is this. Is Listen, don't miss this. There's a direct connection between you understanding how fleeting your life is and the urgency with which you'll live your life. There's a direct connection between you realizing and feeling and getting that your life is just a breath and the urgency with which you'll live your life on mission for God. See, I mean, here, here, here's the thing. Most of us, whether we'll admit it or not, we, we, we think or at least we hope that we have until our 90s to kind of live our lives and then we're gonna die in our sleep and, 
and, and we have all this time to kind of get the stuff done in our life we want to get done. And so because of that, most of us in the back of our mind, even though we wouldn't admit it, think that. We don't feel the sense of urgency to get in the fight. But here are the facts. Some of you are going to die in your 20s. Some of you are going to die in your 30s. Some of us are gonna die in our 40s. Some of us are gonna die in our 50s. Some of us are gonna die in our 60s. And some of us are gonna make it all the way to the 70s and 80s and 90s, but by then you're too busted to really do much anyway. And so guys, listen. The time to engage in the mission of God for the glory of God is right now. The time to make a dent in church history is right now. The time to get in the fight is right now. The time to walk up to the gates of hell and start kicking them down is right now. You can't wait till you're after, after college to get in the fight because you don't know if you have that long. You can't wait till you have, after you have kids to get in the fight. You don't know if you have that long. You can't wait until you're retired or you have a, a certain number in, the, in your 401k because you don't know if you have that long. You have absolutely no guarantee whatsoever if you have that kind of time. Every single one of us that is here as a believer, you have within you right now the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you have an extremely short window. A hand breath, a hand breath. Let that sink in on you, a hand breath, to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And then you go home. And so what are you waiting for? And here's the thing, I, I, wanna, I wanna make a promise to you. If you actually raise your hand and you, and you pray this prayer, you say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm yours. By the way, that, that's word for word the prayer I prayed when I kind of surrendered my life to God in, in, in ministry. It's on the side of a road in Texarkana, Texas, long story, but I prayed that prayer. God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. It's a dangerous prayer, but I wanna make a promise to you. If you pray it and you mean it, you'll never regret it. It'll be the with the exception of knowing Jesus, it'll be the single most fulfilling thing you ever do in your entire life. A couple weeks ago, after I preached um, the sermon on us being a church that's Christ-centered in focus, I got a text from a buddy of mine. You know, this was after Harvey had, had devastated Houston and, and the Gulf Coast, and I didn't even know this, but he, he goes his own, and he had gotten a buddy of his, and, and they, they had this massive... Um, barbecue truck, trailer thing. That's what rednecks do. And, uh, and they got this huge barbecue, massive trailer thing, and they drove it just to this neighborhood over by this church in Houston. And the, the, light, you know, the electricity had not come on yet. People didn't have any water. The water had just re receded. The people had nothing, and they were kind of coming out of their homes and had no way to cook food. And, and so he just got in his truck, and they drove this barbecue thing down there, and they started feeding people and people just showed up and they were feeding about a thousand people a day. And I texted him, I said, man, do you guys need any help? And he responded pretty quickly, he said, I'd love your help. We're, we're pretty overwhelmed here. And, and this, I'm, he's, my, my buddy, he's one of these guys that he never asked for help. And when he said, yeah, I need your help, I was like, all right, I need to go help. And so I finished preaching and I walked outdoors there and I, I drove home and I grabbed some clothes and I got my truck and I took off to Houston. And uh, when I got there, 
um, my friend and those guys were working and they were doing breakfast for dinner that night for these thousand people that are going to show up. He chucked me a spatula and I started cooking pancakes. I cooked 2,000 pancakes that night. I got a picture because some of y'all don't believe me. I got skills, but I got skills. Y'all see how like tight and round those pancakes are? I, got, I poured those and I flipped those things. Cooked 2,000 pancakes that night and all these people showed up. Cooked bacon too, I think, that night. And next couple days, I spent all day smoking uh, brisket and ribs. And uh, check it out, I got a picture of this too. Um, that's me cutting up stuff. My football boys uh, from Veritas had not started school yet. And so I texted all of them. I said, hey, I know y'all are being sorry, laying up, eating Cheetos and playing video games. Y'all come to Houston. And they're like, all right. And so they piled in and uh, they spent a couple days with me serving brisket and stuff. And then, and then and people just lined up in these neighborhoods. We've got a picture to kind of give you an idea. I mean, that, that line right there went out the door for about 200 yards. And um, by the way, the, the, the Austin Stone paid for all of that food, $7,000, so thank you so much for paying for that. And people kept asking me, they kept saying, who, you know, who are you? You know, who are you, what, why are you here? And, and I would just go, this guy from Austin, love Jesus. And this is what followers of Christ do. And I spent three days there total and I slept every night on a couch in the uh, conference room of the church there beside where we're at. Didn't stay in a hotel, just stayed there in the conference room. And um, I want you to know something, I slept as good as I've slept in years. And the reason that I slept so well, I think, was because every night I went to bed and my body was utterly exhausted and my heart was completely And I look back at all the times in my life when I've been the happiest. And I look back at all the times in my life when I've been the most content and the most at peace and the most fulfilled. Almost every one of those times has been when I was pouring myself out and I was serving and loving and fighting for the mission of God in this world. And I guarantee you the same will be true for you. And I'll end with this. I, I came across a, uh, a quote the other day, and I think it was by C.S. Lewis, and this is hand, hands down my new all-time favorite non-biblical quote. And I, I've not been able to quit thinking about it. This is headstone, gravestone kind of cool. Let me throw this at you. You're gonna like it too, I promise you. It says, my prayer is that I live in such a way that when I die, all of hell rejoices that I'm out of the fight. Isn't that good? that I wanna live in such a way, that's right. That'll preach. I'm gonna get that tattooed on my chest. I wanna live in such a way that when I die, my wife's crying, my kids are crying, the church is crying, but all of hell is throwing a party because I'm out of the fight. That's my prayer for me, that's my prayer for you, that's my prayer for us. I'll show you a quick video and then uh, we'll be done. It came ashore overnight as a ferocious Category 4 storm with winds of 130 miles per hour near Rockport, Texas. It is the strongest storm to hit the United States in 12 years. The country's fourth largest city is already facing what could be one of the worst flooding disasters in American history. Just like anyone else, I, I saw the news coverage um, because it was everywhere. Um, 
but I also have family that lives down on the coast, in-laws, and a sister who lives in Houston. And so that kind of gave me a feeling of helplessness to be able to do anything for them. But I guess, in a sense, too, I felt like I for sure couldn't do anything here. I, I needed to go. Um, and fortunately, that led to uh, a few other like-minded people kind of getting together, and we just decided, hey, let's go. And probably the best thing that came out of that was we got to, to be present. Um, we got to see uh, what was happening to the people and what they were dealing with, and also see the ordeal uh, for the people who were there with the task of trying to help, uh, because it's overwhelming, uh, because it's just so broad, and the needs are so great, and there's so many people affected. And so we, we kind of came back with that mentality that um, things need to happen fast, and if something comes up, you need to respond quickly. Um, and so that ultimately led to uh, us deciding that an immediate need that needed to be met in a real way was uh, clean drinking water. The idea came up uh, Saturday. Saturday night, I think the church sent out a message uh, calling people to action to bring water uh, on Sunday. And as this water was coming in, which was way more than, than we expected, because really we didn't know what to expect. And I didn't know if we were gonna be taking a truck with a half full trailer or a pickup truck but I certainly didn't anticipate five pickup trucks and four really loaded down trailers of water headed down to, uh, to the Beaumont area. We actually ended up with so much water that one of the trailers we had a blowout on it. We ended up changing four, four tires on, on the trip, um, but it was worth it. We had all the right people. Everything came together just fine. On the drive down, you know, we actually fortunately, I guess, took a detour uh, to get around some traffic on 10. And so we detoured through a neighborhood um, of some housing complexes. Uh, and outside of every single unit, every single house, was a giant pile of, of these people's things. I mean, everything that they had behind their home was sitting outside by the curb. Seeing that, it's hard to explain the scope when it's literally every single house. But that's what you see down there. And that, that's the reality of a, a huge area um, you know, from Rockport to Orange. But we made it, and we ended up at, at a church in Bridge City, Texas, um, which the water had just receded there, and they were so on the edge of the devastation and on the front lines of trying to help uh, a large number of people in a community there. And as we were showing up with the water, their uh, last few cases of water that they had that they had been given out was all that was left. And then we roll up with something like 40,000 bottles of water. And so we met a huge need uh, there and it, it worked out really well. And to see us come in and know that they weren't alone and that someone was in it with them and wanted to help them, uh, I think that meant a lot. And so we met a tremendous first start, but that's really all we've done so far is just got started. These people are gonna be in this position for a long, long time. And so we really have to um, keep them in our hearts and our prayers um, and keep going back. Um, we need to be down there with our brothers and sisters in Christ, shoulder to shoulder, um, shoveling the load with them. You know, we have the opportunity to really give them hope um, and, and share the love of Christ um, by our perseverance. There's gonna be lots of opportunities in the future. Um, we just need to continue to step up and help them uh, in any way we can. And I think the church will do a good job of communicating what those needs are. Um, and we just need the body to keep on what they're doing and, and keep answering because um, it's making a tremendous impact and we're, we're helping a lot of people.
You know, I know that guy's named Dave Campisi, and he's he's a plumber. He's this big old burly guy. And I, you don't know him, so you might not could tell, but I could tell that guy. He was on the verge of crying that whole time. Big old burly plumber guy. And I'm going to tell you why. Because he was experiencing the joy of pouring himself out for the kingdom of God. So I don't know what it looks like for you to get in the fight. But I know the call on your life is to, is to get in the fight. And so when God calls, let your answer be yes. All right, let's pray. Father, we just love you. And, and, and we just, I just want to start off by saying, God, you're, you're worthy of us saying yes to you, Lord. And so for those in this room that have never prayed that prayer, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. But God, I'm yours. Father, I pray today that you, by your spirit and power, would give them the courage. Lord, I pray that there would be many in this room to be able to experience in their lifetimes what it is like to feel the power of the resurrection of God pouring out of them. And when it happens, they'll go, oh, this is why I was created. This is what I'm here for. So I don't know what that looks for every, like for everybody, God, but I pray you would make it really, really clear to them. And we ask these things, God, for one reason, because you are worthy of our prayer. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our lives. You're worthy of our service. You're worthy of this mission. And we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together.